The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So Ecclesia, in the first few weeks of the series, Sean and I have got to share with you about the body. We, we don't rarely preach about it or talk about it, but you need to know, and what we've heard in the scriptures, the body's good. There's this idea that's rooted in Plato that said, the body and the things of the flesh are bad and spiritual things are good, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Your body's good, God made it. And when you acknowledge that, then you have to acknowledge some of the hard things with it. If you missed last week, it's important that you go back because I got to talk to you about trauma and some of the pain that you endure and how you carry it in your body and that healing's really important in that place. And I'm biting some simple truths uh, that we know about how to heal in the midst of your trauma. And I hope uh, that you'll dial back and journey with me in that. And then this week, I get to tell you, it's good news. Can you believe God's so created that, that he made us with a sexuality? Anybody think about it from time to time? Just like, God could have made us any way. We could procreate in any way. He made us with a capacity for pleasure that is divine and heavenly and for a purpose, right? It, it reveals a bit about God. And so what I want you to hear is that a Christian understanding of sexuality is really, really beautiful and it's hopeful. But the truth is, I don't even get to talk to you much about that because as soon as I bring up sex, you know what comes right to the surface for 99.9% of us? Shame. It just like, it's just intertwined to the point, and this is what you need to know about shame. I think shame is spiritual cancer. I hate cancer. Cancer's taken away many of my best friends. I hate cancer. And you gotta know that shame, in terms of your spiritual life, it is so freaking destructive. It, it keeps you um, held captive. It keeps you from experiencing moments of joy and beauty. It's a thief. And so I don't want you to live in shame. So part of it, we have to go, what is shame? Well, there's no really great definition, I'll be honest with you. Brene Brown has a pretty good one. She says, shame is when you say like, I'm wrong or I'm bad instead of like I did something wrong or I did something bad. I think it's a pretty good definition. The challenge of it is most of us, shame doesn't exist in our head. We don't actually say that to ourselves. We feel it in our body. There's an ache. Am I the only one that knows what that feels like? Right? It's an ache. We feel it. And it's, and it's paralyzing and it's unhealthy and it's, and it's just not good. And the sad part is, I can't talk to you about sex without talking about shame because they're so interconnected. And this is what I believe. This is just my belief, so maybe I'm wrong. But I think that sexuality is the preferred host for shameful thoughts and belief. I think shame is drawn to anything we believe about sex like a magnet. And what all of us are good at is being ashamed of our own experiences, our own pain, our own sorrow, our own identity. And that's not what God longs for you to experience. So then the question is why, right? And part of it, I've just gotta be honest, and I'm, I'm gonna say it as quickly as I can, but as hopefully as honestly as I can, I, I don't know that I was a part of it, but on behalf of the church on the whole, I wanna ask your forgiveness and repent for the ways that shame was used to manipulate you and to be harmful to you. I grew up in a church where fear was a major motivator. For many, fear was the reason you came to faith. You came to faith because you were afraid of hell, right? 
and fear's a lousy motivator, and shame was its ugly twin sister. And shame came along, and shame was intended to use to kind of keep you in line, but it didn't work, and it wasn't good, and it was hurtful for you, and all I can say is I'm sorry. I'm sorry you still carry it. So why do we carry so much shame? Again, these are my thoughts and I hadn't written a book on it. I don't know that much, but I know enough because I know you and I've journeyed with you and I've shared stories and I've learned from that space. And this is my experience, this is the first, is that we experience shame connected to our, our sexuality because legalism will always lead to shame in terms of sexuality. If, if you create a system and churches and religions are really good at this of, of around sexuality and it's about rule, 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 rule. You don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, right? If you do that, you naturally, a couple of bad things happen. One is just because of human na nature, you're compelled to cross those boundaries. Right? It's just, uh, I tell you the story from time to time about when I was growing up in sixth grade, my best friend Chris and I got um, bow and arrows for Christmas. And we went out on Christmas day to shoot them together. And his mom just said one simple word. She just said, there will be no flaming arrows, right? <laughs> and I swear to you, we looked at each other like, heck yeah, they're gonna be flaming <laughs> arrows. We never would have thought of it. <laughs> I kid you not, it would not have occurred to us to light an arrow on fire until his mother said it. And this is what the church, sadly, has done to many of you. They talked about the, this is bad and that's bad and that's bad and that's bad. And then there's just a part of you that's like, I guess I'll try it. <laughs> it's just human. And literally, they did a study in the 90s, right? Because I grew up in churches that were all about this like abstinence commitments, right? And you sign a pledge and you get a ring or a collar or a something. I don't know what you got, right? And you do something and you'd be like, hey, I'm, you mark your forehead. You just like, don't touch me. There was something. And you know what they found in those studies? That the kids that made those con commitments were much more likely to engage in the riskiest of sexual behaviors. Why? Because that focus on the rules leads to just bad fruit and shame. It just wasn't good. We're just not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that with our kids. We're gonna do that with each other. So legalism leads to shame. Secondly, just know all, all of our stories, all of them, complain, contain places of deep brokenness. You know, many of our stories originate in places where we don't even know the full story, but you know that when you came on the scene and your mother became pregnant, you just know it was a crisis. You just know, right? That the initial news wasn't great news, right? Now maybe you became great news, but there's a part of you in your story that you go, hey, I, there's some shame. Now this is the good news for you. You don't have to carry that. That's not about you. But at some point, you'll have to name it and acknowledge it. The truth is, when we look at all of our experiences and relationships, it's filled with brokenness. And you know the challenge of that in relationships? We always identify it in hindsight. <laughs> How many of you could go like, I should have stayed away from that guy? Like, and that guy, and that guy. <laughs> Like, it just, it's a lifelong lesson, right? 
In the moment, you didn't see it. I wonder, are you willing to forgive yourself? Is that a shame you need to carry? I think not. And lastly, and this is a hard one, but I just want to remind you this is part of what we have to talk about in the body. And this, this is the truth, that, that sexual violence is a plague, and it's an evil that comes from the absolute pit of hell. And it's much more common than we want to acknowledge. I told you last week, and maybe the week before, that when I was in seminary, they told us that one in four people we'd encounter and pastor had been sexually abused. And my pastoral experience, especially in the earliest years of pastoring, I just said, the number's much higher than that. I mentioned it to my mom and dad. My dad's been a pastor for, gosh, 40 years, more than that, 45. He, they thought it was one in two. That's what they thought. I don't know what the number is, but this is what I know. If you're in this room, there's a high likelihood that somewhere in your history that you've experienced what should be the most beautiful, God-given, sacred, safe moment, and it's been the most unsafe moment for you. And since I mentioned that last week, you need to know my phone has blown up with people sending me messages saying, hey, that's part of my story. And you just need to know this community is a safe place for you. And a healing journey is a really important part of that. We're going to look at doing, I've got a book I recommend. Um, Dan Adler has a, a book called the, the Wounded Heart. And then he did an update to that book that I think is apparently is really even more helpful. But it's for those that have walked through sexual abuse. And we may look for ways to connect people that are reading the book as you do it. But I want to encourage you to do your work in those places. Um, this is one of those places that we all um, have to be really gentle with each other. The, the good news, and I'm gonna try to turn the corner to the best part of this sermon, is that God did not intend for you to connect your sexuality with shame. In Genesis 2, I told you about Genesis last week, right? We were made for perfection. I told you about my favorite piece of African folk art ever. It's this beautiful piece where Adam has got his hands behind his head and he's laying in a river that flew through Eden and Eve is standing in front of him naked playing the guitar and feeding him fruit, right? And when I, from the first moment I saw that painting, I was like, I was made for that. Like, that's what I want, right? And my life has not felt like that but you need to know. And then there's this other account. Genesis is so beautiful, by the way. I'm gonna preach it again soon. It's not a scientific book. It's a book that God tells in poetic and storied ways, the ways that he created us and helps us identify who we are. It's not a book to argue over. It's a book to celebrate that gives us insight about ourselves. And in Genesis 2, this one of the accounts, God put man in a deep sleep. He made man first and man felt alone. And he removed a rib from his side and he closed it and he formed woman from the rib. Imagine, Adam goes into surgery, God's the surgeon, he wakes up and then he sees woman for the first time, right? And he's literally like, wow. He sings. In the Hebrew it would be, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, I will call this one woman for as an eternal reminder that she was taken out of man. And then it tells us, for this reason a man leaves his father and mother, is united with his wife, the two, it says, become one flesh. This is the first account of a sexual union 
in Scripture. And this is the only thing it has to say about it. The two were one flesh, they were naked, they were not ashamed. This is the original vision of God for your sexuality, that you would know and experience your sexuality without shame. That's my prayer for you. Now getting there is a little harder. So the question is how? So here's the first one. We covered some of it last week. If you want to experience your sexuality without shame, you're gonna have to do some work. You're gonna have to deal with broken places in your story. You're probably gonna need a therapist. You're definitely gonna need a pastor and a community. And you're gonna wanna walk through like those places of pain and sorrow. Now I can tell you in my experience, those places are the like, there's certain things that when you deal with them, they're just hard and you make a little progress. There's some things you deal with them and you make so much progress that you're like, I never knew my neck could feel like that before. Anybody do real emotional work and go like, wow, I thought it was supposed to be a rock, right? <laughs> I mean, I'd go to massage therapists and they'd be like, what's wrong with you, right? And you realize like, man, my body was trying to tell me something. This is one of those areas, if you do your work, you're gonna feel so much better. So what else? Do your work. And then secondly, this is the main focus of the sermon today. If you want to experience your sexuality without shame, I want to invite you to live into a compelling sexual ethic, a compelling Christian sexual ethic. Now here's the part of a Christian sexual ethic that's really important. The Bible doesn't tell us everything about sex or sexuality. It leaves a lot of it really open. You've got to figure out what what do you believe about sexuality? And then you've got to live it. Now, I'm going to give you a few truths today that are at the core of a Christian sexual ethic. And if you ignore those, you're not going to have a Christian sexual ethic. And in those places, if we will move towards it together, I think we'll experience it and we'll go, hey, I don't, this is a full, beautiful, amazing life. Jesus hits at the core of it. And I'm gonna read this passage, I'm just gonna warn you when I read it, many of you are gonna get triggered because you're gonna read it from the church of your childhood. I wanna invite you to hold out for a minute and to realize that what I'm inviting you to consider is much deeper and more beautiful than that. It, I promise you what I'm about to read to you is good news, I promise. When I first read it, it's gonna sound like bad news to you. I watched the whole 9 a.m. when I read it just like, I wanna punch myself in the gut, right? It just had this look and it was like, no, 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 hold out for a minute. This is Jesus preaching the greatest sermon he's ever preached and he talks about sexuality. And he turns to the Pharisees that were super fired up about we're so right, we're so right, we do everything right. And he turned to them and he essentially said to them, right? As you know, long ago, God forbade his people to commit adultery. He said, we all know that. For them, they wanted to find that is a married person can't sleep with someone else. That's how they defined it. Anything else was kind of potentially free reign. He says, you may think you've abided by this commandment, you've walked the straight and narrow, but I tell you this, any man who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, I heard this growing up in the church, you know what I heard? Not only are you bad if you commit adultery, you're bad if you ever thought about it. Anybody else thought that's what it meant? Like. Like, you're, so you're all bad, basically. It was just like, we are all bad. <laughs> Go eat a pot roast, right? And you're like, wow, this felt really depressing. 
It's not what Jesus is saying. Then he goes on. This was the really painful part because we read the Bible so literally, right? We were told you had to read it literally. If your right eye leads you into sin, gouge it out and throw it in the garbage. For better you lose one part of your body than march your entire body through the gates of sin and into hell. And if your right hand leads you into sin, cut it off and throw it away. For better you lose one part of your body than march your entire body through the gates of sin and into hell. Right? We'd read that and you're like, we're gonna start chopping limbs off around here, right? You just felt like... Like, I like having both my eyes. Depth perception is awesome. <laughs> and you just think, like, what, what, do we, what do we do with this? Hear this. This is what Jesus says. He says, the problem's not adultery. You hear? He said, the problem is lust. Now, what is lust? Lust is when you turn a person into a product or an object. And he doesn't say, don't lust for someone who's not your wife. He says, don't lust. Your wife is not an object. Your husband is not an object. Your partner is not an object or not a product. What does Jesus say you are? Your partner is a human made in the image of God. And if you utilize them for your sexual purposes or gratification, you have ceased to recognize them as a human that's made in the image of God. Jesus said that's the key to a Christian sexual ethic, is that we don't use people. Now, here's the hard part. This is the most countercultural thing about Christianity. Because our culture says the opposite. Sex is a product. It's why pornography is so common. It's why Houston, there's more strip clubs than 7-Elevens, right? Because we've said, like, you're an object. You're a product I can buy. And, it, and God's saying, no, 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 no. Actually, sex is not about any of that. It's not about... It's, it's about a covenant. It's about two people that choose to covenant. And in that covenant, they believe that they experience a little bit of the divine and the beauty of God. And that in that process, we're making the world and each other a better place, right? In Song of Solomon, Solomon writes about this. He writes about the beauty and he does it with poetry and it's a bit explicit and it's beautiful. And in the midst of it, he acknowledged, this is about a covenant between two people acknowledging God's grace. Now, this is what you also need to know about Solomon. Solomon didn't live out his sexuality perfectly. He had about 1,200 wives and concubines. I don't know about you, it seems a little excessive to me. <laughs> I mean, literally, at $9.99, you're like, is 1,000 too many? Like, no, no, let's go for 1,000. Seems a little over the top. And here's the good news. When you start to lean in to pray through what your Christian sexual ethic will be, now, again, it won't be strip clubs, and it won't be pornography, and it won't be... Uh, treating people as though they're a product. It won't be that. But as you lean in to figure out what is the, this ethic I wanna live out so that my life is worshipful to Christ in all that I do, you gotta realize that's for you. If you're trying to figure out your sexual ethic for everybody else, you're wasting your time. So 
This, this is what Christians have always been really good at, right? Is let's think of the things we don't do and let's make those the main thing. And let's talk about them and let's really demonize people that do those. If you do any of that, you are, it, it, it's, it is one of the worst things you could do. In fact, it's so painful because actively you will not be living out your Christian sexual ethic, right? Let's just, if we all focus on ourselves and trying to be healthy and honor God, we can live in a really, really good community. Now you may go, your Christian sexual ethic isn't the same as mine. Okay. Maybe in heaven you'll be like, you could have done better. For sure. In fact, you're going to hear you could have done better. I'm just going to tell you now, you could have done better. And there's grace. Paul addressed this specifically. When there were people in the church in Corinth that were like, eh, I kind of want to do what I want to do, right? And, and essentially he said, I can hear some of you saying, he was talking about sexual ethics. For me, all things are permitted. Right? Some people go, hey, it's not generally good to just sleep around, but it doesn't really bother me. Like for me, it's not a problem. Paul says, but face the facts. All things are not beneficial. Don't you love Paul isn't setting this hard rule that now you want to break? Instead, he's saying, okay, maybe it's permissible, but is it beneficial? Is it good for you and for someone else? And very often the answer is going to be no. He says, for me, all things are permitted. Here's my response. I will not allow anything to control me. Another chimes in, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. And by the way, he's talking about other bodily functions here too. He's just trying not to be crude. He says, I suppose, but a day will come when God will dispense with both food and the stomach. And he's saying it's the same for sexuality. Then he explains, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is over all. And he cares about your body. You hear that? And he's saying, when we're united sexually, when we're experiencing our understanding or coming to grips with our own understanding of sexuality, that we also have to acknowledge our body is good and the body of other people is good and thus they are not a product or an object. He says, God has raised the Lord from death, but he won't stop there. His dynamic power will raise us up from the grips of death as well. Don't you realize that your bodies are members of the anointed one? So, should I take members of the anointed one and unite them with a prostitute? This illicit union should never take place. Then he says, don't you understand that when your body is joined with a prostitute, the two of you become one body. For as it says, the two come together as one flesh. What's he saying? It's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's not an adult playground. It's a covenant. He says, but when you're joined with the Lord, you become one spirit with him. Run from immoral behavior. All other sins are disconnected from the body, but sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Ecclesia, this is intended to be good news. And then he just reminds him, don't you know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes from God and dwells inside of you? You do not own yourself. You have been purchased with a great price. So, he says, use your body to bring glory to God. Ecclesia, where the culture says about sex, when and where? Everything's permissible between two consenting adults. And let's use sexuality 
Let's use it to sell shampoo and cars and like anything. Just our sexuality is a product to lure people into purchasing our things, right? It, it objectifies it in every way. The Bible says, actually, it's an opportunity to see the beauty of the creation God made in another person and to live in a covenant that makes both of you better. And it's in that space, right, that the culture will be a bit confused that we don't use what God has given, misuse what God has given. I wanna just close with a couple of thoughts. A couple of you are just like super triggered and some of you are like in that Top Gun moment where you're still like, is he gonna stop talking about sex soon? (laughs) Could we we please take communion now? The answer is yes. But I'd like to invite you to think about a couple of things. For those of us that maybe have some years, which by the way, anybody that has years means they've got experience, which means they've got failure, just so you know. Everybody in this room, Jesus is the only one that ever lived out his sexuality in a perfect way. So for those of us that have some years, do you have some thoughts or prayers about how we would like to pass on a different view of Christian sexuality to our children and grandchildren? My hope is that the kids in our community would grow up without this sense of shame that many of us carry. That they grow up being able to have real conversations with real people about real failures and real successes and they'd be able to see some visions of like Christian sexuality if lived out in an ethical and beautiful way is so amazing. And what the culture says on TikTok, right, that's this instant gratification that people are a product, it's bankrupt and it hurts people. It's not good for you. It's not good for anyone. And we've gotta create a compelling vision that offers a bit of that. If, if I could say anything to my kids and to our kids, this is what I would tell you in the simplest way. Is that whatever the culture tells you about sexuality, I promise you it's a million times more spiritual than you think. Sexuality is, because it's so beautiful, it's like a a window into God's vision for us. And that when we misuse it, it causes more pain than we can imagine. Does that make any sense at all to any of you? Some of you are nodding your head, some of you looking at me like, you said we'd take communion and you'd stop the awkwardness. (laughs) And I'm just gonna keep talking until I feel like I get through to you. My hope and prayer is that our kids would grow up with that. That they would say, I, I recognize that sexuality is a gift from God. And that many of us, as we do our healing work, we would cease to say some of these things that we say to our kids about their bodies and about sexuality. And that wouldn't be this thing we don't talk about. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org. 